Hello, this is Pastor Galen from the First Nazarene Church in Chicago, and welcome to our podcast. Hey, before we hear the message today, I simply wanted to say that no matter where you're at, we're glad that you're listening today. We hope this message will inspire you, instruct you, and help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. And if you live in the Chicagoland area, maybe this is the first step for you joining us in person sometime. Or if you want to, you can always check out our online live services every Sunday on our website at firstnaz.cc. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you. Thank you so much uh, for being here with us today. Uh, if you are new to our church, uh, you may not, you may think that my voice is always this deep. I sound very deep in the basement this morning. Um, my kids wonderfully got sick and decided to generously share that with the whole house. And so I ask for your patience as you bear with me this morning. Uh, but I am excited to uh, share with you today. Uh, and again, if you are new, just a special welcome to you. Man, this is such a an exciting time. I mean, even as we share about Bobby Wall, I recognize while we sing and preach and honor God every Sunday, God is doing something in your story every week, too. We're all at different points in the journey. Some of you have been walking with Jesus for 50 years. Some of you are maybe brand new to the church, whether you grew up in church or you never have been really involved with a church. God wants to do something in our stories to change us, to transform us, and then to use us for his kingdom, to love God, to love our neighbors, and to make a difference in the world. So thank you um, for your part, and wherever you're at in your journey with God, taking next steps closer to him. You know, I was reminded uh, just before this message here, the words of uh, Romans 12, and uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, it says, weep with those who weep, with the Hare family, this week we grieve, we pray for them, as we'll honor Jim in the funeral next week. It also says to celebrate with, a, or rejoice with those who are rejoicing, so we celebrate with them. Uh, many of you may not know uh, this couple, because, uh, well, I guess Kayla grew up in this church, but now they're coming back in the last year. Uh, just yesterday, right here on this spot, uh, got married, and so I want to give them a quick shout out. Mike and Kayla, can you give a little wave, just so everybody sees you, knows who you are? It's awesome. Just so as a community, we can celebrate with you as well. And now you all know who they are. So after service, you can go up and say, oh, congratulations, too. Make them uh, feel welcome and loved, too. Uh, well, together, we've been in this series, the third week now of the Purple Kingdom series. Especially if you're new or if you've missed a week or two, uh, go back online, either in the app or on our website, and get caught up on these messages. They do build on one another. Today... I'm going to share with you, I, I kind of changed the title of the message a little bit, called Our Role. What is our role in the Purple Kingdom? And I think helpfully to say, uh, for us to remember, telling and helping. As Christians, we believe that we live in a purple kingdom. Yes, we live in a country that likes to be divided between red and blue, but as followers of Jesus, we have pledged our allegiance to Jesus as king in our baptism. Uh, we go down into the water saying, I have uh, died to my sin, I have died to myself. I'm being raised to new life, and the life I now live, I live for Christ, is what Paul writes. And so we live for Jesus, honoring him, loving God, and loving our neighbors. In this series, we're asking this question, how do we live as citizens of heaven 
while we live as residents in this country. And today we might start a little bit more theological. What even is this kingdom that we're talking about? But I hope we end up at a place where it's really practical for you. How can I actually go and live in this kingdom this week? I want to thank you for participating. Um, I've been asking you in this series to pray the Lord's Prayer. We'll ha we have it a part of every one of our services here during this series. We're praying, Our Father who art in heaven, and most of you know that prayer. If not, we have it available for you. And I'm asking you to pray it every week. And some of you, about 50 of you, have let us know that you're praying this every day uh, in your home. And we have a little plot. I love this. It's actually a great little picture. Oh, i got to turn this thing on. Here we go. Uh, a great little picture of what this looks like. You can see Lamont here. Here's the church. Here's a couple of you just surrounding in Lamont, committing in our community to pray for the Lord's kingdom to come here on earth as in heaven. If you zoom out a little bit to Chicago land, this is our church uh, surrounding us here. We're praying in our own communities. God, would your kingdom come here on earth in my community, in my home, as it is in heaven. I love it. It's a beautiful. If you want to join in with us, you can. That's on the next steps today. Uh, and also, there's obviously some outside of Chicagoland, those of you that join us online. Thank you for joining us online every week. The Moltons, obviously, down in Bourbon A. Uh, last week, the people who decided to pray with us, uh, Marcellus in Upper Darby in Philly, Pennsylvania. Thank you for praying with us every week. And Elizabeth in McKinney, Texas, which is interesting because we have Elizabeth and Annie and McKinney and and uh, Frisco, Texas, they're only, they're in Texas, far away from here, but only 10 miles apart from one another, joining our community, joining our church, and praying for the Lord's Prayer to come in their community as it is in heaven. So I encourage you to do that. So today, uh, what I want to do is I want you to look, uh, open your Bible and look at Luke 11. If you don't have your Bible with you on the app, click Sundays, click Bible, it'll go right there for you. I'm going to read this passage about Jesus talking about the kingdom. We've been looking at stories where Jesus either says, well, the kingdom of heaven is like, and tells a story, or when Jesus directly talks about the kingdom. And that's what we are doing today. Luke 11, starting in at verse 14. One day, Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak, and when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Of course they were. Could you imagine? If you knew somebody that couldn't talk at all since maybe they were even born, you've known them, and all of a sudden they begin to speak, you hear their voice for the first time, the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, no wonder he, Jesus, can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Others trying to test Jesus demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority, which... First of all, I don't know, when you read the Bible, like, I don't know what goes through your head when you're reading it. I'm like, so they were demanding that Jesus show them a sign after the man who couldn't speak is now speaking? Like, wait, well, well I know you did that one thing, but like, Jesus, can you show me something different? Like, eh, I don't know, right? Show me something, Jesus. You see the same thing after Jesus feeds the 5,000, if you're familiar with that. If you're following in our Bible reading plan, that was what, just Friday you read that? That Jesus feeds the 5,000, they cross to the other side of the lake and they get there and they're like, Jesus, prove to us, show us something. Well, did you eat yesterday? I think you did. <laughs> to me, it's always a reminder, and don't miss this. Sometimes God does something amazing in our life. Uh, he shows up, he answers a prayer. Something happens that was like, coincidence? No, I don't think so. 
God knows what we need, and he shows up, and he does it. And we're like, oh, my goodness, God, you are so good. And then like a week later, you're like, God, show me something. <laughs> Can, I need this now. Like, do you really care? Do you really love me? Are you really real? And sometimes God answers these things so that we can look back and say, no, God, you've been faithful, so you'll be faithful again today. That's a side note, sorry. Uh, show us a sign to prove his authority. Jesus knew their thoughts, and so he says, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A family splintered by feuding will fall apart. You say that I'm empowered by Satan, but if Satan is divided and fighting against himself, how would his kingdom survive? And I am empowered by Satan. What about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too. And so they'll condemn you for what you said. He said, you're trying to catch me in a trap. I'm going to turn this back around on you. Your logic doesn't even make sense. And then he goes on to say this. But if I am casting out demons by the power of God, or some translations, by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. For when a strong man is, is fully armed and guards his palace, his possessions are safe. Until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him, strips him of his weapons, and carries off his belongings. And this last part here, he's saying, well, Satan might have had some dominion and power and, and demon-possessed man that was just been freed. Satan may have had his way. Evil may have had its way. Chaos might have reigned for a time. But now the kingdom of God is among you. And one who is stronger now has showed up. And evil has no more power. Chaos and sin have no more say. For the king of heaven is here. The kingdom is among you. And this phrase, the kingdom of God has arrived among you, is powerful. You see, most of us today, and I want you to picture, like, when you picture the end of time, Jesus coming back, what do you picture? Like, what comes to mind? That's one of your life group questions this week if you're in a message reflection group, so you can go ahead and think about it. Some of you may picture from, you know, old hymns like Streets of Gold or Jesus coming back on like a white stallion. Whatever you picture, the Jews of the time, here's what they believed about the end of time. You see, well, first of all, from the very beginning, God comes and lives among us. God is with us. There's no sin that separates us. God walks with Adam and Eve in the garden face to face and has a relationship with them. And then humanity, Adam as, as being one person for all of us as humanity, chooses to disobey God and sins. And it casts us away from God's presence. And not only that, but it disorders the entire creation. So all of creation is thrown into chaos, and we see brokenness, we see despair, we see disease, we see things like earthquakes, and all of the creation has now been thrown off its original purpose and intention. So what the Jews would have believed is, well, one day God will come again and make everything right. We don't really know how it's going to work, but he's going to deal with the sin that separates us, so we don't have to be separate anymore. And God who will come and who has seen all that has happened on the earth and he will bring justice, which is a simple way of saying we get what we deserve. For the righteous, they will have life with God. For those that have been evil and it looks like they have gotten away with it, oh no, no more. 
He who comes will make everything right. And they believed at the end of time, all would be raised from the dead. All would meet this God, and he would come and usher in a new kingdom. Just like King David sat on the throne, then this God himself would sit on the throne. The entire creation would be under his rule and reign, and he would do what is good, what is merciful, and what is just. God would be king at the end of time. And it's, very, it's the same thing we believe today. Jesus will come back, and all of these things, go read Revelation 21, 22, all of these things will happen. But here's what's interesting. It made them live in such a perspective of, we know, and hear this, we know that life is broken. We know that people get sick. We know that things are unfair, and they happen, and they make us wonder, why is this happening? Well, we've sinned, and sin is reigning, and evil has power now, and well, we just need Jesus to come back one day. Friends, hear me on this. A lot of times we wonder, well, if, if God was good, why would these things be happening? That very question itself points to a good God who will one day come back and make everything right. Why do we have any sense of morality or right and wrong if there is no God who hasn't put it in us in the first place? So they're living and they're, oh, these things are terrible and what's going to happen? And at the end of time, God's going to make everything right, the kingdom of God. But now Jesus comes along and begins to speak a little differently. And Matthew, after Jesus goes out into the desert, he comes back and he begins his public ministry. He reads from the scroll of Isaiah saying, this has been fulfilled. The Son of Man has come to do these things. And then it reads this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is coming at the end of time. No. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or again, later in Matthew 16, truly I say to you that some of you standing here today, 2,000 years ago, will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Or from our story today in Luke 11. But if I'm doing these things, if I'm casting out these demons by the power of God, I'm telling you, the kingdom of God that is once coming, the rule and reign and justice and mercy and grace of God that's coming at the end of time is among you now. And this is the reason, I think this will be helpful for some of us. If you're anything like me, when you're reading these scriptures, you're a little critical, cynical, questioning, and you're like, why is there so many miracles in here? Why is, like, I don't really see that in our day-to-day. Is, is God still doing that? First of all, let me tell you, he is. And if you want to know, come talk to me. We have the people here in our church, in this community, we could tell you crazy stories. The doctor said one thing. I went to the next appointment, and it was gone. This happened. Jesus' power is still real, yes. But what's interesting is when we read this, this is not, all the miracles in Scripture are not supposed to be a prescription for this is how it happens every single time. The main purpose of them in Scripture is to point us to the fact what our eventual hope that we have is actually coming now in the middle of time. The God who heals, the God who drives out demons, evil has, no, uh, evil has no power or authority. The God who raises the dead. Did you know in Matthew not only was Jesus raised from the dead, but at Jesus' death on the cross, it says, the tombs of many righteous people were opened and they came out. Like Halloween's coming, can you picture like, Literal, I mean, I'm not gonna call them zombies because that's probably not the right picture, but righteous people coming out of their grave. The resurrection is already happening. It's already coming. 
So that we now can say, no, listen, God is going to come one day and make all things right, and even the body will be raised, the sickness, the diseases, the deformities, the things that we have, God will make us whole and heal us and restore us to the original creation, the original way that he designed us. But even now, in the spiritual sense, we can be brought from death to life. When we experience the, the death with inside of us, what is the purpose of life? Why am I empty? There has to be more to this. We feel dead. We experience spiritual death because we are not in relationship with a God who gives life. Our sin has separated us away from him. And so you say, well, what must we do to enter into the kingdom? When Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 3, is talking to Nicodemus. He says, no one can come into the kingdom of God unless they are born again, experience new life. Nicodemus, what do you mean born again? How can I, I'm a grown man. That Jesus, I don't get this picture. I can't go, my mom, I, this is a weird picture, Jesus. No, but born of the spirit. So when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he, he hangs with the disciples a little longer, continues to teach them many things, and then he ascends and sits enthroned at the right hand of God the Father and then sends the Spirit into the world to be God's presence, not in Jesus and one person at one place, but at all times and all places, God with us, God among us. And so we, if we have life in the Spirit, we simply believe. The words of John 3, going back to Nicodemus' story, what does Jesus tell him? For God so loved the world that whoever would believe in him should not perish, no, not experience death, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to save the world through him. So we enter into the kingdom. We experience God's new spiritual life for us now by placing our hope and our faith in him. Jesus, I believe. And we come back to it over and over again. Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me where I don't believe. Jesus, I do believe in you. I want to know you. And we enter into the kingdom. And you see, when we believe in this, we are born of the Spirit, and then God comes to live in us, not just among us, but in us. Scripture reads, don't you realize that all of you together, the church, the church people, all of you together are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God lives in you. This temple of God language is interesting. Let me, real fast, let me, let me give you a brief history of everything here with God's presence. So in the beginning, God is walking in the garden. I'm with you, I'm present with you, you can see me face to face. God longs to dwell with his people, but our sin separates us from him. When God comes and rescues his people in Exodus and he takes them out into the wilderness and says, I long to live with you. So build this tabernacle, here's the plans, this, this thing you're gonna carry, and this is where my presence will be. My presence will be with you. Where you go, I will go with you. I will travel with you, I'll tell you where to go. We'll be in this together, I want to dwell with you. And then uh, people lose the tabernacle over time, and God says, I want to make a more permanent presence. Once they get into the promised land, God says, build a temple. He gives David and Solomon the plans, and Solomon builds the temple of God. And he says, in this temple, that is where my presence will live. If any of you need anything, then you come to the holy city. That's where I will be. My rule and reign will be established from this city and this temple. I long to dwell with my people. 
But then they, the Babylonians come in, they destroy it, they cart them out, uh, they take them to Babylon, they kidnap them and take them away. And God brings them back. They try to restore the temple, but it doesn't have the same glory that it once had. And the people are lost. Where is God's presence among us? And then God, and we're in, Christmas is coming, becomes man. He comes in form of a baby, Jesus. Grows into the man who would be our savior, both fully God and fully man. Experiencing all that we have in humanity, but yet he did not sin. He's fully God, God's presence living among us. And then as Jesus goes, he sends the spirit that lives within us. So when he says, you're the temple, we recognize that God lives in us, his presence is with us, and then through us. You see the tabernacle, the temple, if people wanted to see what God was like, they would go there into the presence. We should live our lives in such a way that when people look at us, they would see the God who lives within us. A God who loves them, God who cares for them, who's merciful and just and gracious and kind, a God who forgives, and a God who points them to new life. Should happen in and through us individually, but then together as a church. The Spirit lives within us. And again, one more time from Romans. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, think about that power, lives within us. The kingdom of God is here and now, just as it is in heaven when we live under the rule and reign of Jesus, following him obediently, doing what he wants us to do. You see, if God cares for the poor, how do you think he does it? Through us. If God longs for new people to come into the family, how do you think he does it? Through us. If God wants to reach out to the widows and the orphans and bring everyone into a community where we're different from one another, but we are unified and aligned around the grace and forgiveness of Jesus, he wants to do it, and he is doing it, but he longs for us to participate in it with him through us. The kingdom of God is here. So what does Jesus do in this kingdom? I would say, like, what is our role? How do we do this? How do we live it out? Well, first of all, I want us to look at what Jesus is doing in the kingdom. You flip two chapters back, Luke 9. But the crowds found out where Jesus was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them, and then this is what Jesus is doing. He taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. A teaching about the kingdom of God, and then healing those who that we're sick. This is what Jesus is doing. So how do we live? If you go back just a couple more verses, Luke 9, 1 through 2. One day Jesus called together his disciples, those that are following Jesus, who have committed to follow them, who have laid down their own life for the way of Jesus. They're following him around, learning to apprentice under him to become like him. That's the disciples. That's what we are too. And he gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases. And then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom and to heal the sick. There it is again. He sent them out to tell. Now notice the difference. Jesus taught about the kingdom. So whatever we have learned and experienced about this life and the rule and reign of God that he's forgiven us, uh, whatever we have experienced, Jesus is teaching about it. So he taught. And then now whatever we have learned, we tell. So we tell others about Jesus and the good news of what he's doing in our lives, and then heal the sick. And so there's two sides of this that I, I hope to end practically today. The first one is this. How can we tell people about Jesus? Are you able to tell people about Jesus? 
Now, normally when I ask that question just one-on-one -on -one people, people get all nervous and their hands start to sweat and they're like, ah, oh, tell people. Like, the picture is someone standing up here being like, let me tell you about all of the Bible and all of creation and all of the theological depths of all that Jesus has done for you so that you may be saved. And no one is expecting you to do that. But how can you, in your own words, could you tell a family member? Could you tell a neighbor? Could you tell a server at a restaurant? What, what would be your words? How would you tell them about Jesus? And some of you who've been around the church and you've, you've been discipled more and you're teaching more, you may be able to say, listen, God loves you. Your sin has separated you from God. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to forgive you of your sin so that you might have new life with him. God can change you and transform you. You don't always have to be addicted. You don't always have to live in shackles to your sin. You don't have to live in the shame. You don't have to live in the questioning of your identity. No, God has come to give you meaning and purpose and life and a new identity and a new family. He's come to save you. Some of you may have those words. I recognize that maybe many of you won't. Can you tell people what Jesus has done for you? Here's a great way to start. Let me ask you, what difference has Jesus made in your life? Think about it. What difference has Jesus made in your life? I think that is the starting point of telling people about Jesus. Listen, <laughs> I don't know everything about Jesus, but here's what I do know. Man, I started going to church there, and at first it was like, oh, cool music, and like the guy, uh, he had a super deep voice, and like his kid, he talked about his kids, and like it was cool. But man, the longer I was there, I noticed something was different. And they started talking about a relationship with Jesus, and I learned that church isn't something that I do just to check off a box so I don't feel bad about myself, or like I grew up in a tradition where I had to, so now I come back because I have to, but like it's somewhere I want to be. Somewhere I'm learning to get to know the one who created me. It's somewhere where I experience God's peace and joy, and I don't know what it is, but he's changing my life. Man, he's changing my family. God is good. What difference has he made in your life? Could that be the starting point where you begin to share about the kingdom, the good news of Jesus? It's not only the telling, and some of us are maybe better at the telling, some of us maybe not so much, but then the other side where it says, Healing, healing the sick. So let me ask you again, are you able to heal the sick? Now we do have a couple doctors in our church and they're like, yes, I am. <laughs> That's what I do every day. And I actually love this. Here's a little side deep note for you. In the, in the original Greek, the same root word for salvation Jesus has come and bringing salvation. Uh, so we think like we are saved by faith. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you are who you say you are. I follow you. We are saved by faith, salvation. That is the same root word for when Jesus heals someone. So a lot of the text that, well, then Jesus cured her of her diseases, would actually read, instead of Jesus healed her of her diseases, would actually read, Jesus saved her from her diseases. Isn't that beautiful? So yes, maybe I think of our medical professionals, or maybe not just physically, medically, I think of like mentally, emotionally, psychology. Are we able to help bring people to a place of wholeness? And some of you work in those categories. I would invite you to begin to uh, view your work in a different lens. This is the work of Jesus. Am I doing what Jesus would want me to do? But then for the rest of us who are not in those categories, let me ask you, do you know anyone who's hurting? Think of a neighbor, think of a family member 
Who are you thinking of? Do you know anyone who's hurting? Could you be a part of their healing process? You know, it may not be doctor, it may not be, but what could you do to be a part of their healing story? As Christians, I want to be able to answer this question clearly. Are we adding to people's hurt? Are we participating in their healing? If Jesus, the, the Hebrew concept of shalom, which is not just peace, but of wholeness, of life, of vitality, we want people, when, they, when you begin a relationship with God, your soul comes alive to the one who's created you, but you keep following Jesus and doing what he wants you to do. You find uh, the song we sang earlier, that Jesus begins to mend your heart, to heal you, to make you whole, to make you um, joyful and full of peace and life and vitality. And we get the opportunity to be a part of that in others' stories. I thought to myself, I said, why doesn't the church do more of this? Why don't we see more of it? Why are we not involved more in people's lives? And I began to think about the bystander effect. Do you know what this is? The bystander effect. Uh, it's a psychology term, or at least that's where I learned it uh, from college. And it's simple like this. If you're all alone with someone else, and that person is uh, in trouble, they're facing an emergency, they need help. If it's just you and them, 85% of people will help them. Now, I don't, like, I hope that's all of us. I mean, maybe 15% of us in the room are like, if I was in a room with someone who needed help, I'd be like, mm-mm, nope, not helping you, I don't know. Hopefully we would all say yes. But here's what's interesting. The second you start to add a few more people, so not just you and one other person, but if it's you and three other people, a group of four, and that person needs help, there's only a 31% chance that even one of you will help that person. Isn't that interesting? Why is that? Once we get in a larger crowd of people, we begin to pass off responsibility to others. We assume, well, yeah, I'm not gonna do it because man, there's so many of us here, they'll do it, right? Somebody else will help. Somebody else will step up. Somebody else will provide the help and healing that that person needs. Psychologists, this is an interesting line from them. The primary reason why the bystander effect continues to remain in effect is that instead of evaluating the emergency, bystanders are evaluating each other. Think about that for a second. Well, yeah, I know they need help, but like, we're not looking at them anymore. But like, I mean, are you going to help? I feel like you could help better. I bet that person helped. help. Well, like, if, if there's something was serious that was happening, like, you guys would notice too, right? We start looking at each other instead of actually providing the help that we need. And don't you see this when you, um, when you know someone's having a rough day? You can hear them on the phone talking to somebody else. When you see someone, you drive by them, and they're in need. We think, ah, well, somebody else will, right? What if we became the church? It's not somebody else's responsibility. What if we took it personally? I believe God has called me to help. Not every time, not in every situation, but if it happens, God, do you have me right here for a reason? Maybe I'll be the one that steps in and helps. Could that be us? You see, around our community here, there's 17,900 children in foster care in Illinois. 3,300 of them are waiting for someone to adopt them. 4,500 people are living in homelessness in just Chicago alone. And there are more than 390,000 widows in the metro area. 
we hear those numbers and we get overwhelmed. That's so big. Could we do anything? Well, there's 10 million in the metro area. Somebody's doing something, right? Listen, I'm not asking you to change the world. What I'm asking you to do is maybe to notice a few people in your world and maybe make a difference for one. Make a difference for two. Be the person that says, I will do my part in my little corner. Because here's what I know. If every one of us loved God and loved our neighbor, our neighborhood wouldn't be in need. If every one of us was a friend to a stranger, there would be no more strangers. If every one of us invited others over for dinner, then no one would be alone. It's our job to take ownership. And in election season, when we um, vote for politicians, well, they will vote them in office and they will do it. The early church never functioned like that. Number one, because they didn't vote for Caesar. No, it's our responsibility to change the world. There was no food stamp program in early Rome. No, the poor were fed by the Lord's Supper. Let's get together and have dinner. Oh, there's free food? I'll be there too. That's how they were fed. There was no hospitals. I'm sick, take me to the, there's no hospitals. Guess who started them? The Christians. The Christians were the one that says, wait, this is wrong. Shouldn't there be a place where people could go and receive help? It's our job. There was no adoption agencies at that time. No place to vote. The Christians went to the trash dump and grabbed the unwanted children and brought them home to their own homes and fed them. It's our job. Believers were not to go and vote, and please do go and vote, because bystander effect is real. Your vote matters, sure. But vote with your life. And know that the local church is still the hope of the world, because Jesus lives in and through the local church. And if Jesus is the hope of the world and lives within us, then our role is to participate in his kingdom. Whatever area you have influence in, Share the kingdom, tell about the kingdom, and then participate in someone's healing. Here's my prayer for us. In addition to the Lord's Prayer this week, maybe I would ask you to pray this as well. Through our prayers and by our hands, may your kingdom come. It's more than just, well, you know, I prayed for it, so God's gonna do something. Yeah, and he might. But what if we start to become the answers to our prayers? God, would you help that person? What if God was like, mm, and I'm asking you to help them? God, would you comfort that person? God's, hey, what if I'm asking you to go and do it? By our prayers, we're praying for God's kingdom, his rule and reign, his mercy, his grace, his justice, his love, and through our hands, by what we do to participate, we're asking God's kingdom to come. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that you didn't just wait until the end of time to begin to start making things right. That you begin to proclaim this kingdom that yes, while none of us are righteous, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You make us right with you by Jesus, your life, your death, your resurrection, and the new life that you give us. You've forgiven us of our sin, but now raised us to new life and resurrection power to live for you. This isn't just to pray a prayer to get into heaven when I die, but God, I'm thankful that you change us in that moment, but then we get to live life with you as well. 
and you show us how to be the light and salt of the world. When others would look at your church, they would see your love, see these people that aren't perfect, but doing their best to love God and serve others. God, help us to be those people today. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us for the first NAS podcast. If you're interested in what your next step in growing your relationship with God might look like, I'd encourage you to visit us at firstnaz.cc engage, or you can download our app from the app store, First Nazarene Church. And there you can let us know if you've made a decision for Jesus, or you can also find practical resources to help you grow closer to Jesus. I'd also invite you to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already to make sure that you've always got the latest content. And if you want to, feel free to share this on your social accounts. You never know who else might need to hear today's message as well. Well, thanks again for joining us. Have a great day.